This morning we continue our way through the book of 1 Corinthians and we come to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Last week we took, as I already mentioned in the word of exhortation, time to consider the the first two-thirds, if you will, or perhaps even three-quarters of 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul chastised the Corinthians, calling them little babies. He had to talk to them like little babies because look at what you're doing. I, I, you should be eating meat. We should be discussing the deep things of the faith. But no, I have to treat you like little children because look at you. You're running around, clustering around different apostles or teachers saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, division, we're better than you. No, you don't have the right way, splitting the church, thinking like the world thinks. I have to treat you like little babies. It's a funny way, uh, an insulting way to talk to them, but it's the way of the Bible. It's like, you know... It's, we, we just sang, you know, in that psalm. It's always, it's always uncomfortable to sing, oh, you stupid people. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just so weird to sing that. Um, and yet, and yet, um, now granted, that's a translation and, a, and putting a psalm into to metrical form. But they're, they're, you know, the Bible does this. It calls people fools and stupid. Like, look at yourself. And Paul is essentially picking up on that tradition um, as he rips the Corinthians for their behavior. But again, he does this in love. He loves these people. And he's challenging them away from carnality, away from being conformed to the pattern of this world and calling them back to who they are in Christ. He had had just said, you'll remember at the end of chapter two, you have the mind of Christ. He wasn't saying it's possible for you to have the mind of Christ. He says it, we have the mind of Christ. And this is what frustrates Paul. Paul Paul is not calling them to their better self. He's calling them to be what they are. That's what he's doing. You are this, now live it out. Right? That's That's what he's calling them to do here. And it's a good reminder for us in our Christian lives. Right? Well, Paul did this, and then we remember he was jumping all over. He was just, metaphors were flying all over the place as he was using the metaphors of food and little children. And then he jumped quickly to the metaphor of gardening and sowing seeds and watering. And even in one verse, he switches metaphors. You are God's field. Yes, you are God's building. <laughs> it's like Paul is, Paul is just running over with metaphors, and they're beautiful metaphors. Uh, but you, you are God's, you are God's field. You are God's building. That's in verse nine. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Um, and then he, and then he leaves the field metaphor and he jumps into the building metaphor and he picks up on the temple. You are the temple. And in this way, it's, it's, it's more than a metaphor because he's saying you are actually the temple. You are the place where heaven and earth meet. You are the place now where the spirit of God dwells. And we ought to be, we ought to be very careful then how we treat the temple of God. Okay. So we, we thought about that last week, thinking about how the apostles were building on the foundation that is Christ and how we as a church build on that foundation. Will we build with wood, hay and stubble, things that will be consumed or will we build with the precious metals? You saw uh, that the image in that beautiful passage in Revelation that Mark read of the picture of the bride of Christ, the church, the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. And in, in all the, the, the precious stones, the foundations, and the glory of that city. And, and that's what Paul's saying. That's the city that is being built. Don't waste your time building with wood, hay, and stubble that gets consumed. The city of God is going to be purified and be this beautiful church, a bride without spot or wrinkle, adorned with great jewels. And those jewels are going to be righteousness. 
Those jewels are going to be her glory, and her glory is her conformity to the image of Christ. So let our church be pursuing that beauty. Let our church be pursuing that structure upon the foundation of Christ. And not only that, but you individually. You individually. Not only are we the temple of God, but you. You know, in Corinthians, he's going to say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're like little temple stones being built into a temple. right? We're, we're each, each individual stone is a little temple that's being built into the grand temple of his church. Okay, so that means even we as little temples then need to think, how are we building? How are we building on the foundation that is Christ? Are we building with wood, hay, and stubble? Are we building with precious metals, things that will be purified by fire, not destroyed by them? Now, Paul returns back in, in our text this morning in, in verse 18. He returns back now to this issue of wisdom. Again, this is a, the chief problem here for the Corinthians, at least early on that Paul is addressing, that they are sliding into that Greco-Roman way of seeking wisdom, small w, right? Getting around a teacher who they think has the keys to life, the keys to the good life. And they are taking Christianity and fitting it down into that mold of the Greek teachers and philosophers, and hence the divisions, right? I'm of Apollos' way of thinking. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm of Paul's way of thinking. And what Paul is saying is, no, Paul and Apollos are nothing. We're all of God's way of thinking. And we have different roles within this, but we're all aiming there. And so if you get caught up with Paul or you get caught up with Apollos, you're, you're, you're missing the boat. And so he's challenging him. So he, he returns to that. And while his thought is linear, it, it moves beautifully, and we'll follow that. I want to take it up in two points today. First is this business about becoming fools. The, again, the, the contrast of foolishness and wisdom, starting in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. If anyone seems wise, let him become a fool. Now notice, he says, if anyone is wise in this age, that is, if anyone is viewed by his fellow man to be, oh, a man or a woman of wisdom, that's, he's saying, a dangerous place to be. It leads to self-confidence. It leads to the, the thought that somehow independently of God, we can navigate the course of this life and come to the good life ourselves. If any man thinks or seems to be wise in this age, if those accolades are being thrown back on him, which, by the way, is what they're all pursuing, they're all wanting to be that, they're all wanting to have that wisdom, well, if anybody thinks he has it or is charged with having it, let him become a fool. What a, what a countercultural thing to say. You don't want to become a fool. But you can even see in, in chapter 4, the little heading down there over verse 6, fools for Christ's sake. Paul is going to say, say, I'm happy to be a fool for Christ's sake. And we have to think about what kind of foolishness, what kind of fool uh, is Paul calling us to be? What does it mean when in chapter 1 he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man, or the ways of God are foolish? 
Well, of course, what Paul means by this is they are foolish according to the worldly way of thinking. They, they break the mathematics, if you will, of the, the, the algorithms and the, the patterns, the thinking of this world. They're just not moving in the same direction. The world looks and sees somebody doing something stupid, right? Uh, uh, and, and Paul, uh, Jesus, I think, flips this like in, in, uh, in, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through, Jesus gives wisdom. Jesus, like Moses on the mountaintop, bestows the law and, and, the, and the charter for the kingdom, if you will, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then at the very end, he says, now, you, can be, you could take what I said to you and be one or the other kind of people. You can be a foolish builder. And here now he's speaking from a kingdom of God perspective, okay? So the foolish is bad in this case. He says, you could be a foolish builder. And the foolish builder builds his house on the sand. And when the winds come and so forth, it knocks it down. You know the story. Or he could be the wise builder who builds upon the rock. And I've thought about that picture that Jesus gives. And it's like from the world's perspective. And now, of course, on one hand, that makes sense, right? That's how all building codes. There's not a building code around that says, yeah, in, in the United States, yeah, go ahead and build your house on sand. So on the one hand, that seems like just obvious wisdom. But at the same time, if we had to build a house just without thinking, the wise builder in Jesus' story seems to be the foolish guy because he's digging. You know, the, the, the guy who's building the house on the sand looks wise because he's building. He gets to work and he builds a house. And when, and when this guy's kind of putting the roof on, this guy's got a hole. And you're like, which of these two is the good builder? And you're like, it's a no-brainer. Look, look at this beautiful, look at this beautiful house. This guy's a great builder, and this guy has a hole, and he's and he clink, he hits rock, and he's like, yes. <laughs> and he's down in the hole on the rock, you know. He said, now we can start. And Jesus says, Yeah, yeah, that's the wise builder. Now, at the at at first, at just face value, just looking at it. He looks ridiculous. He's doing the opposite thing. He's digging down as opposed to building up. But this is what the foolishness and wisdom of God and of the world looks like. It's just the world builds up and Christ's people do this countercultural thing and they dig down. The world says gather up and the people of God say we must let go. Right? The world says save your life and you will save it. <laughs> Lose your life and you will lose it. And Jesus comes along and he says, save your life and you will lose it. Lose your life and you will save it. And this just, you know, it just like blows brain circuits because that's silly. That's ridiculous. If I give my life away, I've given it away. I don't have it. But the logic of the kingdom says, no, actually then in giving it away, you will find it. So this appears to the world, of course, as utter foolishness. Why would you do this? But of course, it is the wisdom of God. So, so Paul says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems wise in this age, let him become a fool. And then I love this little phrase that he adds on the end of that. That he might become wise. It's not that Paul's opposed to wisdom. It's just what you're calling wisdom is actually foolishness, world. And here my mind goes to, to Paul in Romans 1. See, seeking to become wise, they became fools. 
and traded the glory of God for that of four-footed creatures and animals and so forth, and worshiped the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore. Right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It's not that Paul is opposed to wisdom. He just recognizes the wisdom of this age for what it is. Like, again, I was just thinking, driving here about, like, financial gurus, okay? Mark, Mark will tell you, you know, he's on me about my, you know, not reading my emails and for life insurance and, you know, the, 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 and he's, he's absolutely right. I need an organized man like Mark to, to kick me in the rear end every now and then and make me read my emails and find out that I got to renew policies and stuff like that. I'm so bad with stuff like this. But I listened to, I'm, I'm going to pick on financial gurus, but it could, it could be anybody, right? Who have such wisdom about managing money. And, and with, within the, if just in the horizons of this life, unbelievable wisdom. Follow those guys, right? They know what they're talking about. They will help you invest your money and get returns and make sure you have retirement and all these kinds of things. Tremendous wisdom. Within the horizons of this life, tremendous wisdom. But if we just lift our eyes to a further horizon, we find out that, in fact, it's utter foolishness. Because in the end, you die. And what, and as, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, and then who gets your inheritance then? It's completely out of your hands. And yes, you could say, well, I've left it for my heritage. Yeah, but you have no idea what they'll do with it. They may completely squander it. It's like, okay, so it, it is wisdom within the, within the scope of this life, but we fool ourselves, right? And the world fools itself to think that this is all there is. And we know it's not, but we convince ourselves it is. And so we, we pursue this wisdom as if it's the capital W wisdom. But unto itself, it's utter foolishness. So you're like an Egyptian pharaoh that's buried with tons of gold. Good for you. <laughs> what a grave, what a grave. People will visit it for ages to come and you will still be dead. You know, it's like, you know, but, but so what, in, in, the, in the end, you hate to say what was it worth because, because as Christians, we just can't think like that because we know this life is worth something. But again, we're thinking like Christians. We're seeing, we're seeing the small W wisdom in the light of the capital W wisdom in which all things are, are valuable. Life is valuable. Money's valuable. How you spend it is valuable. And being good stewards is valuable. That's all important because we have the capital W wisdom of the age to come, right? Paul says, become fools so that you might be wise. Paul desires true wisdom. And true wisdom says, I'm going to die. How do I set myself so that I have eternal life? How do I, how do I get right with the God as we sang in, in that psalm that Mark chose for us today, which is a great psalm to choose, Psalm 94. Do, do you think God, who created the world, doesn't see? You think he doesn't hear? This is why he says, oh, you stupid people. It's awkward to sing, but you get it. Do, do you think the God who made all things out of nothing doesn't see? That he doesn't hear? That he's not going to hold us accountable? Wisdom says you might want to get right with him. If that means becoming fools and giving up your financial management for a little while, 
So that, or whatever, I'm picking on that, but you know what I mean. Whatever small W wisdom, real wisdom within this scope, become a fool for the sake of making sure that you have the capital W wisdom. For, as he says in verse 19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, right? Again, it's like, I, I think we use this illustration the other day. It's like, it's like being in a car heading for the cliff, right? Just zooming toward a cliff, you know, and bickering over like what radio station we're going to play and like the cliff, you're heading toward the cliff and someone else is in the car like, hey, there's a, you know, we're heading toward a cliff and they're like, quiet, quiet. We're trying to get, tune the station and you're like, yeah, but there's a cliff, you know, no, 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 no. Let me get, you know, it's, it's like, it's insanity. But that's what we're, go, go ahead and manage your money as the clock tick, tick, ticks. So the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God for is written. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are Utile. Therefore. So here, now Paul in Paul's letters, as you know, are loaded with therefores and fours, and we're going to get two in this one sentence. Therefore. So, okay, what do we do with this? Therefore, let no one boast in men. Stop looking to men and women to solve your problems. Now, again, we're going we're gonna to redeem this in a second because it doesn't mean you don't look at the financial manager. But that's for the small w wisdom. Stop looking to man. Stop trusting in princes. Stop trusting in the strength of your horse, as the psalmist says. Don't put your trust in these things. Do not boast in men. They die. Do not boast in men. They only have small w wisdom. They will not do, they will not give you the capital W wisdom that you need. Therefore, let no one boast in men. And then he gives a for to the therefore. So a therefore says, here's why. And then here's a here's why to the here's why. Okay. And here's why. You don't have to boast in men. And this is going to redeem our financial planner, our poor guy who's going, hey, but you know, it's what I do for a living. Yeah, well, we're going to bring him back now. Because therefore, let no one boast in men for all things are yours. All things are yours. I, and hence, I titled the sermon this way. And this is a phrase that, one of those phrases that is just going to, I'm not going to be able to say enough, even if I spoke all day. You're going to have to chew on this one today. And you're going to have to chew on it the rest of your life because it's so overwhelming. There is so much to be taken in by just reflecting on this because you're not going to believe it. Okay. You are literally not going to believe this. But Paul says, here's why you don't have to boast in these men or be man followers. Because all of it is already yours. And in case you just think Paul's just saying platitudes and it's just a throwaway line like all things are yours, but he doesn't really mean it. He then gives eight specifics. And they kind of get bigger and bigger. And then he sums it up. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Paul is yours. So here, here Paul is writing and he's saying, everything I am, everything 
from that, that the Lord has done in me and through me. Not just the stuff I wrote, but all of my history, all of my background, all of my small w wisdom. All the experiences I've had in life are here for your sake. And the Lord is going to use me, Paul is saying, for you. And I'm yours. Everything I have, all my mental capacities, all my physical capacities are all yours. You, you own them, air quotes. They are for you. Apollos, Cephas, we are all for you. The Lord, we are merely agents that God is using for the good of his church. Because, taking it back to what we said in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love him. All things, all people, believer and non-believer, all things are working for the good of his people. And nothing, nothing, nothing can stop that. Nothing can interfere with that. It's not like there's a little glitch in the system. As R.C. Sproul says, there's not one maverick molecule. All of it is being worked by our master orchestrator for the good of his people. So therefore, Paul is yours, Apollos is yours, and Cephas is yours. So how stupid is it to go, well, my guy is Paul. My guy is Apollos. They're all yours. And they're all yours, and they're all yours. Because God is yours, okay? So Paul is yours, Apollos is yours, Cephas is yours. And then he just blows it out, right? The world. <laughs> okay, let's see. How, he's thinking, all right, this list is going to go on pretty long here if I don't summarize. So, so all right, the world is yours, okay? What's that include? Everything, because you know why? Because, as the Bible says, you are co-heirs with Christ, and he inherits all things. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says, and you are called co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means whatever he inherits, you inherit. And therefore, the world is yours. The financial manager, his wisdom is yours. Go get it. Go get it. It's there for you. Go get it. Because you're not using it to get to glory. You're not using it to manage your life and give you the good life. You have found the capital W wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You found wisdom incarnate in the Lord. You have that. And so now having that, you have all things. So go, talk to the financial planner and let him help you manage your money so that with it, with capital W wisdom, you can glorify God with your money. And you can glorify God with your time. And you can glorify God with the raising of your children. And you can glorify God by becoming a master of your craft in whatever job you have. Go do it. Go learn from the guru who can teach you about your work. There are people, non-Christians, who have tremendous wisdom. You're going to be, a, I don't care whether my, my, well, I would like my doctor to be a Christian, but if he's not, that's fine. I just want him to be a really good doctor. And, and I, can, I can take from that. He's mine. His, his skill is mine. It's, it's a gift to me from God. It's for his people. Here, take it. This is why I chose the Exodus 12 passage. Because Israel is leaving Egypt, and it says, and they just gave their wealth to them. And thus, he says, they plundered the Egyptians. And then when you get to Revelation, in the very end, this glorious city comes down, and, and John is describing what he's seeing in this amazing vision. And he says, and the glory and the honor of the kings were brought in. And the honor of the nations, all these great, glorious, small g, glorious things that the nations have done is brought into the kingdom. 
It's like plundering of the nations. All, all the, anything glorious and good and true and beautiful is of the Lord and he's, it's here for you. Take it. And hence they plundered the Egyptians. It's, it's all there for you. It's, it's, it's for you. It's yours. Whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, that's pretty broad as well. Everything in life is for you, which as we even said, this means the challenges, the hurdles, the pains, the struggles. Guess what? They are working for you. Not just in this life for your good, but as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, these light and momentary afflictions are working for you an eternal weight of glory. Like that, it's all for you. Which means that really hard things. Tom, you're going through a really hard thing, man. Harder than any of us are going through right now. And easy, very easy for me to stand here and say, okay, that this is for you. But here's what I know, Tom. It can't hurt you. And we read, when, when you were over in the North, we read Psalm 91 at your request. You know, I love that passage in Psalm 91 because he says, you know, no evil will befall you. The plague will not come near you. And you're like, that's ridiculous. Of course, that's untrue. Of course the plague comes near believers. We suffer with it. What's he mean by that? When he says no evil will befall you, what he means is even if the plague comes to you, even if cancer comes to you, Tom, it can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. He said, but yeah, but it can kill me. Yeah, but read the next line. Not only is life yours, death is yours. Death, right. Death is yours because eternity is yours. Even death serves you. You say, but the plague might kill me. Yeah, but death is mine. D death now, because of the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, even death has been neutered. It's, it's, it's become now a pet. It's become a servant. It, it, we are more than conquerors. So that now, not only is death conquered, I remember Piper saying this, John Piper saying, more than conquerors is like, when, okay, conquer it would just be to defeat it. You vanquish it. There's Goliath laying with his head off. And you're like, yeah, that's defeated. But Piper made the point, yeah, but he doesn't say you're conquerors in Christ. He says you're more than conquerors. And, and he said, what would be more than a conqueror? And John Piper said, when the thing you conquered now turns around and serves you. And it's like, that's what we have. It's not just that death is slain and no more. No, no, no. Now death actually turns around and serves you. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain, Paul says. And here... Even the hard things. Now, again, you have to meditate on this because you don't believe it, okay? Or you believe it now. But when you're in the hard spot, it's like you've got to, that's where you have to have chewed on this enough so that when in the dire straits, when you feel that Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That you find that bedrock. You know, you, you, find, you find this truth there to sustain you that tells you, hey, even this, even this is yours. God is going to, God is using this. It's for you. And that's very hard, very hard sometimes to understand, but we have to wrestle through it here. So whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or the future, which freaks us all out, we all get nervous about it, but even that is yours. So if it's yours, you don't have to worry about it. All, just to sum it back up, all are yours.
And here's why. Because you are Christ's. And Christ owns everything, right? Christ has all authority in heaven and earth. And Christ is God's. You are married, if you will. The church is the bride that's married to the king of, of heaven and earth. And as such, all that's his is yours. It's shared. He, the, the bridegroom shares this with his bride so that all he has is freely hers. And hence, everything is to the church and nothing. Because of the victory of Christ, nothing can come against us. You are Christ. You're his bride. And Christ is God's. And therefore, in that confidence, we stand. So there, you want wisdom? There's wisdom. There, you have that. And in that now, with that capital W, wisdom. Go. Hey, again, read the Greeks. Now I can go back and read Aristotle. I get Aristotle back. You know why? Because Aristotle's mine. And Plato's mine. And, and the, the Greco-Roman scholars and, and Cicero and his great, great, the church, thank you, thank you. Like, we'll take that wisdom. That's really good. Oh, Seneca. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. I'm not using Seneca to get me to the quote-unquote good life. I have that in Christ. But now having that, if you will, we plunder the Egyptians. I can, I'm happy to hear Seneca's wisdom or, or, or Marcus Aurelius you know, tell me how to, how to live a better life just in common sense, general proverbial ways. Yeah, a lot of wisdom there, which now I can enjoy in the wisdom of Christ. And so if we can keep that balance, to do that, we have to elevate our eyes to the deeper horizon and find the wisdom of Christ there and remind ourselves it's all ours. Victory is ours. Life is ours. Death is ours. For we are Christ and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our identity in Christ. Who are we? We're the dust of the earth. We deserve no good thing from your hand. And as we have confessed, we are rebellious dust. And yet you have loved us and you have united us to Christ. Of your free grace, you've done this, that in Christ we might be co-heirs with him that we might have all things as ours, that nothing possible can stand against us. Lord, now we need your Spirit to sink this deep into our hearts because we by nature do not believe it. We still rely upon ourselves. We still lower our gaze to the horizons of this life and seek lowercase wisdom as if it's capital W wisdom. So forgive us for that. And by your Spirit, more and more throughout our lives, Help us to live as if these things were true, that you might receive all glory, that we might not boast in men, but that we might only boast in the Lord who has become for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. And it's in the name of that incarnate wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.